The guy who was indicted for bribery and corruption five years ago has been indicted for bribery and corruption. Shocker of the week. Are we going to learn of a scam that is along the lines of Bernie Madoff, Lincoln Savings and Loan, and Enron? Uh, I think yes, but I'm pretty sure no one will do anything about it. And even a blind squirrel gets a nut. I'm talking about the governor of California, Gavin Newsom, getting something right. But don't start raising your hands and cheering yet. This is Gene. You're listening to Dumbasses Talking Politics. Hey, hey, this is Gene. Welcome back to Dumbasses Talking Politics. Happy Yom Kippur. If you're of the Jewish persuasion, I decided to get that one right. I was wondering what, I knew it was some holiday. I wasn't sure. I'm Catholic, so I don't know all of the dates for the Jewish holiday. I apologize for that. Meanwhile, my heathen Catholicism, I've been sitting back and watching football all weekend. I was really excited. I was going to watch the Bears and the Chiefs play. And I figure I'm just I'm just kind of a Bears fan, kind of not really, but kinda. And I thought, okay, maybe they'll give the Chiefs a run for their money. Um, they didn't. They lost like forty-two to ten. I turned the channel off after twenty-one nothing, or twenty-four nothing, because I thought there's really no point in watching this. It was pretty bad. And then I turned to the Charger game. That was a lot better game. Again, not great football, but a good game. But that brings us to a big problem. They were talking about the, the Bears really being kind of distracted while playing the Chiefs in Kansas City. And one of the reasons they're distracted is their lovely city is apparently affect, the crime problem there has affected them. According to ABC News, an estimated loss of over $100,000 happened sometime over the night on Wednesday. Staff said thieves tore down a security fence to drive the equipment out of the garage. You drive the equipment. Yeah, they stole all sorts of uh, they stole all sorts of gardening equipment. Basically, any, anything they used to take care of the fields, including lawnmowers. The, those lawnmowers that you can drive around. Yeah, they stole those. So it's good to see that criminals in Chicago. Our, crime is so controlled in Chicago, a place that should have like some of the highest security in the country, Soldier Field, where Chicago plays, uh, isn't susceptible to crime. By the way, the Bears have already said they're probably moving out of the city of Chicago. They're going to move into the suburbs someplace. They've been, of course, Lori Lightfoot, who was the mayor at the time when Chicago said, yeah, we're moving out of Soldier Field. We're going to go find someplace else. She, of course, tried to throw racism in there and all that fun stuff like, you know, she usually does. Uh, guess what? This is probably more motivation for the Bears to leave the city. Anyway, I, I mean, I wouldn't believe them if they left the city. Okay, so let's get the dumbasses of the day. <laughs> Well, you know, it's it's Sunday, and Sunday is all the news shows are out, and you know they're going to have some lefty politician on these news shows, and you know these lefty politicians are going to say stupid crap, and sure enough, this isn't, this weekend is no different. 
But first, we'll start off with Keith Oberman. Now, Keith Oberman used to have a job. He used to be someone people listened to. And, and one of the things Keith Oberman used to do is he used to be a comedian. Then he used to be a sports commentator. And he was pretty good at it. I mean, people liked him. Then he went to MSNBC, where he became a far-left, crazy-ass political guy. Um, and then people began not to like him. Now, it says something when you are so leftist, you are so to the left, that you get fired from MSNBC because you are too leftist. Well, Keith Olbermann's life has just gone downhill. He's The only time anyone talks about him is when he's getting mocked. And here's another case. Now, Keith Olbermann, he is the epitome of of Trump derangement system, TDS. He is the epitome. And this is a guy, it's funny, this guy screams conspiracy theory, conspiracy theory, conspiracy theory. And his podcast, which no one listens to, is nothing but conspiracy theories. Well, here's another one. Um, this one talks about, you know, Trump uh, is going to take over the world, I guess, if he wins the election. And by the way, it's looking like Trump might actually win the election. So let's listen to Keith Olbermann just absolutely melt down. And there's a lot to unpack here, and I'm not going to even bother because it, this is just pure craziness. Trump has promised that he will open concentration camps in which he will keep some non-citizens, not undocumented immigrants, people who are here legally, who he suspects are gang members or drug dealers or cartel members. He will declare the country has been invaded, he will invoke the Alien Enemies Act on the books since 1798, and he will round up non-citizens over the age of 14 who he, at his sole discretion, believes may be criminals, and he will deport them or he will keep them in camps, concentration camps, Donald Trump's concentration camps, oh, and thousands of U.S. troops on the Mexican border. We must stop this madman at all costs. And Rupert Murdoch retires to become Chairman Emeritus of Evil Incorporated. And people are actually saying nice things about him. Mostly because they think he was like the guy in succession. He was a man so evil that a dying TV playwright named the cancer that was killing him Rupert so that he had something to fight and hate. And who said that if he had not been writing something new before he died, he would have killed Rupert Murdoch on behalf of mankind. Stop praising Murdoch. He is Osama bin journalist. Oh, in succession, it stinks. All suck, no session. All that and more in the Friday Countdown podcast, available now wherever you podcast and also available on YouTube. Yeah, no problems with mental stability there, huh? He sounds pretty, he sounds pretty normal. Well, who knows? He, he, here's the funny thing. You could sit there and you could say, well, the reason he's saying all that stuff is because he's trying to get people to listen to his podcast. Here's the thing. He says this stuff all the time. He says it on Twitter. He says it all the time. So, I mean, this is a guy who sat back because Trump had a cold two weeks before, during a debate, two weeks before he found out he had COVID that uh, he was out to kill Joe Biden. I mean, this is the kind of stuff this guy actually says. So he's crazy, uh, you know, and he's on, uh, he's on, uh, 
a pod. Well, it's why he's doing a podcast now because no one else listens to him. Okay, here's something. So, gender. It's something. It's bad. They need to deal with it. We need to deal with it. We need to convert everybody into the opposite sex that they are and use the pronouns that they make up. But what is causing this? Because this is the big question a lot of people are asking. You know, we didn't have this 10 years ago. This wasn't something we had 10 years ago. Heck, five years ago, it was something that was barely even on the radar. Now, all of a sudden, everyone is is transgender and the kids, we need to kid cut the kids off our our boys' ball, kid, cut the balls off our boys and cut the boobs off our girls and call them M and Air and all this stuff. So what's causing this? There's got to be a got to be a thing. Well, here's a panel of four people on some random show. I don't know what it is. It's not a good show, I can see. But they have an idea what's causing it. Let's listen. It's really interesting. Climate affects gender, gender affects exactly. climate. And Karin, you can speak to that a lot. You already sort of talked to us about this huge movement that you've created around queer and climate yeah. this week. That's right. Climate change. The sun monster is causing boys to want to be girls and girls to want to be boys. Of course, they don't say how that's happening. They just say it's happening. That's the typical leftist response, though. But I think the dumbass of the day, honestly, you can't give it to Keith Oberman because Keith Oberman does that to be provocative, I think. I don't think he says, I don't think he believes half the shit he's saying. And these four wearing their trench coats and stuff, yeah, they don't look like this is a legitimate show and they're really legitimate human beings anyway so let's ignore that climate's causing our boys to want their balls to be cut off let's go to aoc because i i gotta tell you aoc she is on the right platform she has the right opinion she looks good she's but her big problem her big problem is she's just really 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 stupid so here she is on face the nation and they're talking about why she drives a Tesla when she hates Elon Musk. Let's listen. You were quoted back in July saying you look forward to buying a union-made electric vehicle. But you buy, but you currently have a non-union-made Tesla. UAW already makes some electric vehicles. Yes. So why wasn't that? Is it a problem with the, the quality? Is it a problem with the style? Is the market just not there? Uh, no, the, our car was purchased uh, during the pandemic when travel, mass, before a, a vaccine had come out. So travel between New York and Washington, the safest way that we had determined was an EV, but that was prior to um, some of the new models coming out on the market that had the range available. Uh, but we're actually looking into trading in our car now. So we're looking into it and hopefully we will soon. So if you thought it was bad that a bunch of kids were blaming climate change for kids wanting to change their gender, now you've got the reason that AOC bought a Tesla is because she wanted to, she couldn't buy any other car, union-made car, because of there were no vaccines and COVID. Hey, here's a little secret. She's not trading in her Tesla. The reason she's not trading, she may be forced to trade in her Tesla now because they ask her the same question next year. 
she's going to have to answer she's going to have to answer that same question so she may be stuck getting rid of that tesla but i got news for you the other like evs out there they're not that good they don't they don't the range isn't that great the battery wears out quicker and you you have to be careful where you drive them their charge doesn't last as long the distance doesn't last as long the quality isn't there there's a reason that ford the Ford has lost billions of dollars on their EV cars because it take, costs so much to build them. They cost so much people aren't buying them and the quality just isn't there. So you, you go figure. And of course, she has to get rid of her Tesla because Tesla is a non-union shop and they're the ones raking the millions off this strike with the unions. But believe it or not, that is not the dumbest thing that AOC said on Face the Nation. She said something much dumber, much dumber. And it shows that she either is stuck in her ideology and she can't get out of her ideology to admit there might be some bad points to her ideology, or she just has no idea about foreign policy and she's as dumb as she looks. I'm going to take a bit of both. So let's listen to what she said about the illegal alien crisis. I definitely think that we need to have comprehensive immigration reform so that we aren't constantly doing this patchwork policy extensions. That has not happened for decades. But additionally, I think we also need to examine the root of this problem because if we are constantly engaging in foreign policy that drives people to our southern border. In this specific instance, uh, U.S. sanctions that were originally authored by Marco Rubio began and precipitated, certainly took a large part in the driving of populations to our southern border. Shortly after those sanctions, those broad-based sanctions... You're talking about Venezuela. Yes. Shortly after those broad-based sanctions were enacted, we started seeing uh, dramatic increases in these populations that were coming to our southern border. And so we have to address the root of these population movements and the migration crisis. And we also have to address the domestic U.S. policy issues when it comes to immigration reform. But you know, the Maduro government has also been responsible for large parts of that. Are you saying that you want to, you want the Biden administration to pull back pressure on him? I think we need to re-examine the nature of these sanctions. There are sanctions that are very specific. For example, the Magnitsky Act sanctions uh, that do actually focus on the decision makers and people who may be violating uh, norms, practices, civil rights, Mm -hmm. but broad-based sanctions that punish the overall economy and harm everyday working people that are driving them into the economic and political destitution that force millions of people, uh, both not just to the United States, but even to our regional partners. This is such the typical socialist statement. You know, here's the problem. This is why, first off, there, there's so many things wrong with this this thing that I, I can't even tell you. Venezuelans are trying to get out of Venezuela, yes. But they're trying to get out of Venezuela because there's no food, there's no work, the dollar is inflated over there like crazy. It costs a million dollars to get a bag of sugar in Venezuela. The, the regime, the Maduro regime, is now despotic. It's a socialist system, but now it's just a complete dictatorship. The reason those the reason those sanctions were put on Venezuela in the first place is because drugs were coming up from Venezuela into the United States. 
Venezuela through China was actually smuggling drugs through Mexico into the United States. For all we know, they still are. So to sit back, and they are notorious for arms trafficking. They are a terrible country. That regime up there is a terrible country. As a matter of fact, I'll go a step further. People were thinking maybe the best thing we could do with the Maduro regime is actually go in and take over and and invade. That's how much they are affecting the United States. And that cancer is affecting other countries. It's affecting Brazil. It's affecting Argentina, Peru. It's already spreading throughout South America, which is what Rubio was afraid of because this looked a lot like Cuba. To sit back and say, well, the reason they're leaving Venezuela is because of our, our... What are you talking about? They were eating dogs before we put any restrictions on them, any sanctions on them. Half the reason we put sanctions on them was because of how they were treating the people, their human rights access, uh, re- human rights records. We have video of the government driving vehicles over people. There was a huge protest that, by the way, AOC didn't want to talk about. Huge protests over the Maduro regime and how he's eating steak and sipping on champagne while people are eating cats and dogs. That is socialism, by the way. Thank you, Hugo Chavez. And this moron can't sit back and blame Hugo Chavez or Maduro because she was down in Venezuela celebrating their achievements. Yeah, blame the United States. Every problem in the world is the fault of the United States. The United States is such a horrible, evil, no good country that they every every ill in the world is because of the United States. And here's the question I have for AOC. If it's so bad in the United States, if we're such an evil country, why are these people trying to get in? She never, no one asked her that question. Even this face the nation gal was pushing a little bit saying, you know, Maduro did kind of, is kind of creating some of this problem. And Hugo Chavez before him destroyed that country. Venezuela was the richest country in South America at one point. Now it's one of the poorest. How did that happen in 10 years? Don't forget, Hugo Chavez took over in like 2008. In a matter of 15 years, that country has turned into a, a crap hole. Kind of like what our country's becoming. Every time I hear, every time I hear that, well, we should try socialism because it's just never been done correctly. Well, I got news to you. The path that Venezuela took is the path that we're on right now. And does it look much different? Does it look like it's better? The first thing that usually hits socialist countries that try and redistribute everything, which is what the Biden administration has been doing for the last three years, is high inflation. And all of the other things, all the social justice and crap, that's built in. I'm going to have a video of a gal who is a defector from North Korea. And she did a, a deal for YAF, Young Americans for Freedom. She did a, a speech for them. And she was saying, you know, I came to the United States expecting everyone would love freedom. And I got here and it's exactly what North Korea is doing. Incredible. Okay, so let's get to some stories because there are some big stories. And here's a shocker. Uh, Politicians in Washington, D.C. are corrupt. Wow. And now they're getting indicted for it. 
I wonder why. I wonder why indictments are coming out for people other than Joe Biden, mind you. And I just kind of gave you the answer what I think is why. According to Daily Wire, Senator Bob Menendez, Democrat from New Jersey, and his wife Nadine have been indicted on bribery charges, according to the Department of Justice. Uh, The indictment comes after the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York, Damian Williams, opened a corruption investigation last October into Menendez, who has been seen in the Senate since 2006 and is chair of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. By the way, why why was that investigation started? There were reports that on a trip to the Dominican Republic, he was having sex with underage prostitutes. So the the department of so DOJ decided that maybe it's time to investigate him. Hmm, interesting. Again, it took over a year to figure all this stuff out, but we'll we'll we're, we'll get there. Menendez faces charges of conspiracy to commit bribery, conspiracy to commit honest services fraud, and conspiracy to commit extortion under color of official right. Uh, the other thing he should be charged with is espionage. Yes, he should be charged with espionage. So this whole thing should sound familiar to you. Bob Menendez, that, sh- that should ring a bell if you've been following, following politics for the last seven, eight years. Bob Menendez, the same thing he was indicted for and actually went to trial for back in 2015. The jury hung. The case, it was thrown into a, the case was thrown into a mistrial and the DOJ just decided not even to go through it again. This time, the evidence is far stronger than it was before. They have DNA information this time, which is something they didn't have in 2015. Go figure. So what he's basically accused of is he's accused of taking gold, cars, cash, no-show jobs, and mortgage payments in exchange to foreign officials for, again, jobs, policy manipulation, because he's the head of the uh, Senate uh, foreign, what is it, Senate foreign, um, uh, what is he in charge of? Senate Foreign Relations Committee. He, he, um, and transfer of classified information. So he's actually sending him classified documents. Wow, this is... This is hang them by the yardarm kind of stuff. I mean, when you're talking, you're talking espionage. You're talking, in his case, it would be pure treason. You're talking execution stuff. He won't get charged with that stuff. Um, the evidence looks pretty bad. They have the money. They have the gold. They have the cars. Uh, they have the records, bank records. They have DNA on some of the objects. That he's been talking about apparently since it's working he was working directly with Egypt and they know he was working directly with Egypt that's one of the groups he know, they know about um, they probably have whistleblowers they probably have recordings they probably have emails text messages and other forms of communication so you can imagine this is going to be a tough one everybody and their mother now is screaming that he resigned So what is he going to do? Well, today it was announced that not only is he not going to resign, he's thinking of changing parties, I would assume becoming an independent, Republicans don't want him, and uh, running again. 
He just made, he's going to make that announcement today. So you can tell this is a classy guy. During the interview on Friday, when they were talking about the indictment, the the prosecutor basically said, yeah, it's the, he wasn't even hiding it. This guy has an appetite for money. He was never going to stop doing this. He will never stop doing this, even if he gets off on these charges, which they say not going to happen. Even if he gets off on these charges, he's probably going to keep doing it because that's the way this guy is. Okay, speaking of scams, here's another scam. Um, and I'm telling you, this is, we've had BLM, we have uh, Reverend uh, Al Sharpton, we have Jesse, Jesse, whatever his name is, he's not even relevant anymore. We have all of these race, race con men out there. We shouldn't be surprised that this con man, probably the biggest con man, the con man that has infected most of our culture, most of our corporations, most of our institutions out there, and now it's beginning to turn out to be an absolute con. So let's, from the Daily Wire, Boston University announced Wednesday that it would conduct an inquiry into Dr. Ibram X. Kendi's Center for Anti-Racist Research amid complaints about the culture. The inquiry will be a broader version of a previous examination looking at the center's grant management practices, a spokesman for Boston University told the Boston Globe. This is a big deal now because you're thinking grant management practices. Okay, don't all colleges have grant malpractice? Uh, yeah, they do. They all do, which is one of the reasons why you shouldn't be paying $100,000 a year to send your kid to a college because they're all corrupted. And we shouldn't be worried, we shouldn't be talking about loan forgiveness. We should be talking about, okay, what the hell is wrong with these, what the hell is wrong with all these, uh, all these colleges charging $100,000? So this is not uncommon. It's the sheer amount of money they were dealing with. Okay, let's continue with the article. We'll get an, all into this because the article is kind of soft on this. Which is funny from the Daily Wire. I took their article simply because they're very hard on Abram X. Candy. For some reason, they're really soft on him. The inquiry also comes shortly after layoffs at the center. Kendi recently laid off about 20 employees, more than half the center staff, the university confirmed last week. By the way, all those employees that were laid off, of course, what are they screaming? Racism. <laughs> the left will always eat its own. Assuming... All these people are in the anti-racist. You, you would think they're probably all black. It's run by a black man, but doesn't matter. It's all racist. You, it, it's this stuff. It's just. It, it's hard to believe they actually do this crap, but they do. Kendi, a prominent critical race theory scholar, has become an influential voice on anti-racism over the last several decades, especially after his book "How to Be an Anti-Racist." became a New York Times bestseller in 2020 in the wake of the George Floyd's in the wake of George Floyd's death. By the way, I've read How to Be an Anti-Racist. I have a hard copy of the book. It is absolute trash. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure, I know I did. I did a podcast on How to Be an Anti-Racist. I read you the entire introduction of that book. 
And I told you that introduction, and we talked about how that introduction of that book was trash. I tell you what, I will hunt for it and I will actually post it on Rumble so you can you can actually hear it because how to become an anti-racist is nothing but racism. Okay, well, and not to mention the introduction, it starts off lying. So if you're going to start lying, and by the way, that book isn't decades old. That book is about not even 10 years old yet. But if you're going to start your introduction by lying, your entire book is trash. Well, he didn't need to lie in the introduction. The book is just trash. He has drawn criticism for promoting the theory that all races are racial disparities are due to racism. Kendi has also faced criticism for his book, Anti-Racist Baby, a children's picture book that introduces children to the concept of anti-racism. By the way, I have that one too, and that book is just unreadable. No kid is going to get that book. It's a stupid book. Okay, so now let, let's get to some things because I, I got to tell you, this guy does not have a blessed life. This guy molded himself into the Ibram X. Kendi of before corruption investigations at Boston University. Okay, this guy was nothing. He was going to be serving my french fries at McDonald's before he decided, before affirmative action and all this crap. Okay, his birth name is actually Henry Rogers. He changed it. Why did he change it? Because he had to make a brand. And that's what this guy was really good at. He also didn't have the dreadlocks that he has now. And he wasn't the soft-spoken guy. He was actually kind of a class clown. He was loud. He was boisterous. He was outgoing. All, everything. The Ibram X. Kendi. The dreadlocks. The soft-spokenness. All this crap was, was, rebrand, was a rebrand. It's something he made. He graduated high school with under a 3.0 GPA. So his book says that he was actually well above average, though he does admit he was kind of an underachiever, but he wasn't above average. He was, he was below average. He was a 2.7 GPA student. He had a thousand on his SATs, which is, I mean, smack dab average. The guy was just an average guy. But thank you to affirmative, affirmative action, he was able to get a scholarship to Florida State University. Or Florida, yeah, one of them, Florida State University, I think is what it was. Of course, anybody can get into Florida State University. So um, he, he then wrote a book called How to Be an Anti-Racist. This book, I'm not sure when it came up, but I want to say it was 2015, 2016. And basically, this book has several themes that are important, important which are today even used. Okay, by the way, this anti-racist theory or critical race theory, this wasn't invented by Ibram X. Kendi. He's just the main proponent of it. It actually came out back in the 1970s. I can't remember the guy who, who came out with it, but uh, a, a guy back in the 70s came out with it. It just wasn't taken seriously back then. As a matter of fact, there was a lot of pushback because we just had the civil rights bill signed in 64. So it wasn't taken too seriously. But basically, here are the tenets of anti-racism. Every right person is a racist and oppressive, period. End of story. There is no such thing as a person who doesn't see skin color. There, a person's character is irrelevant. 
every white person is racist. And they're racist because of the systems. The systems itself is racist. And because the system oppresses black people, there is no way a black person can be racist. Get that? Oppression is a white construct. Blacks do not have oppressed. They cannot be oppressed because they don't belong to the systems of power. White people belong to the systems of power. So we oppress all black people. And therefore, we can be racist. Whereas black people cannot be racist because they do not have the systems of power. Now, with that being said, that means I am oppressing Oprah Winfrey and LeBron James, two people worth billions of dollars. That they are still the oppressed, those two that are worth billions of dollars, they are still the oppressed, and I, who are not worth a billion dollars, am the oppressor still. That's what this book flies on. That LeBron James cannot be racist because he's oppressed, but I am racist simply because of my skin color. It's just an incredible deal. Every policy that Ibram X. Kendi does not like is oppression and racist. So if Ibram X. Kendi doesn't like the fact that affirmative action was killed, that's because of racism. Now, that's basically it. What he'll say is he'll start throwing a bunch of power out there. Oh, well, it's a, that policy is a power play and things like that. None of that stuff makes any sense. It's basically, I don't like that policy, so that policy is racist. As a matter of fact, that's what he says when he defines racism. In one of the actual funniest, funniest takes that I've ever heard Ibram X. Kendi uh, utter is his definition of racism. So he's at a college. I'm not sure where the college is. I believe it's Duke or Columbia or something. But he's at a college and he's asked, could you, you know, here's a confusing thing. Maybe you've done this before. I don't know. Have you, can you give me the definition of racism? Listen to his definition of racism. And then let's talk about whether this guy should have any type of say on what is and isn't racist. Let's listen. I'm wondering, I just finished reading Robin D'Angelo's White Fragility, and I think she did like an excellent job of defining racism as like a system of oppression as opposed to like a personal choice. It's like it's there, you benefit from it, or you don't. That's its purpose. You talked about the importance of defining racism but I, but I, unless I missed it, which is possible, I didn't. I didn't hear your personal definition. Is there is there one that you would offer us? Like, how do you define racism? Sure. So racism, I would define it um, as a collection uh, of racist policies that lead to racial inequity that are substantiated by racist ideas. <laughs> sure, a, a collection uh, of racist policies that lead to racial inequity that are substantiated by racist ideas. And anti-racism is a pretty simple using the same terms. Anti-racism is a collection of anti-racist policies leading to racial, anybody want to take a guess? Equity that are substantiated by anti-racist ideas. Thank you. 
Um, thank you for this. It's the most comprehensive talk I've seen on racism in my whole life. I really appreciate you. That's because um, it's Jamel. <laughs> <laughs> Do you really want to send your kids to a college like this? Seriously. He, there's no definition there. He just said the same word, the word he's defining, he said three times. And of course, everyone's laughing at him because it's a stupid definition. It's not a definition. But he takes it as, oh, they just can't understand my high intellect. And then he redefines it again the exact same way. Which, by the way, that's not the definition of racism. Racism is defined as one who sees his race as superior morally, intellectually, emotionally, humanly because of skin color. So if I see myself as having the moral high ground as anything, being able to tell you what to do because you're inferior, that's racism. Based solely on the color of your skin, that's racism. He can't define it that way. He cannot because then his entire narrative crashes and is destroyed. So he gives some, and by the way, by the way, uh, Robin D'Angelo's definition of racism is no better because she says systems of oppression attack a person based off the color of his skin. Okay, that's better than Kendi's definition. But the problem is it's still like, what, what system of impression and how is it oppressing? That, that's the question you got to ask. Okay, well, who's being oppressed and how? Because I'm looking at the laws of the country and it looks like the laws say that we're all, we all have equal opportunity. And so where is this oppression? And basically it's the same thing. Well, the policies I don't like, they're the ones that are oppressive. That, that's how this stuff works. But this guy is a complete moron and he's a grifter. Well, so what he did is he, after George Floyd di was, died, okay, after George Floyd died, he received about $40 million in donations and Boston University let him open an anti-racism research, anti research facility. In the three years that that anti-racist research facility has been open, they have produced, three years, $40 million, they produced two papers. Two papers. One of them about COVID. That's all they did. In three years, they went through all $40 million. Then they had to lay off their half their staff, which, by the way, because of racism. Okay, that's what the staff is saying. Oh, I'm being laid off because I'm, I'm, I'm black, which makes a lot of sense, but whatever. And now the Boston University is sitting back and saying, uh, where did all this money go? Okay, you know where it went? Ibram X. Kendi's pocket. Don't tell me there's no corruption there. There's a lot of corruption there. But essentially, in three, four years that this research center has been open, they've had absolutely nothing to research. Hmm, interesting, huh? This, all this race thing, this is all a complete grift. It's all bullshit. It's no better than Enron or anything else. That's all it is. It's just garbage. Okay, well, I have to say, I am a little surprised. This next story, let's get to the next story. I am a little surprised by this. I, I am. I'm a little surprised by this. Uh, I, I really, I, and again, then again, this guy's a grifter too. So maybe I shouldn't be too surprised about this. 
According to the New York Post, California Governor Gavin Newsom vetoed a bill that would have pushed parents to affirm the gender identities of trans children, bowing to a state bowing to statewide pressure from parents and high-powered critics such as Elon, Elon Musk, who called it utter madness. Quote, I dare I share a deep commitment to advancing the rights of transgender Californians, an effort that has guided my decisions through many decades in public office, the lefty governor wrote in a message issued late Friday amid a flurry of vetoes. But the law, he said, would have created a new legal standard, quote, in prescriptive terms that single out one characteristic, end quote, the Sacramento Bee reported. The measure, which we did talk about last week, the measure, Assembly Bill 957, would have told judges to weigh parents' support of their children, their child's gender identity or gender expression when determining custody or setting visitation rights, a change that Musk, the estranged father of a trans child, decried as a wolf in sheep's clothing. Now, Scott Weiner, who wrote and supported this bill, and also likes BDSM and other little fetishes, fetishes, and is not shy about showing those fetishes and taking pictures and posting them on X, he de- and by the way, doesn't have any kids, he decided to sit there and say, he called it a rejection, he called Newsom's rejection a tragedy for trans kids here and around the country. These kids are living in fear with right-wing politicians working to out them, deny them health care, ban them from sports and restrooms, and erase their humanity. By the way, none of that is true. Okay, absolutely none of that is true. And this bill doesn't fix any of that. So if it was true, this bill doesn't fix any of that. Okay, no one is trying to deny them health care. They can have health care. They just can't have their balls cut off before they're 18. No one's trying to ban them from sports. They just have to play the sport. If you're a boy, you have to play boy sports. If you're a girl, you have to play girl sports. Likewise, if you're a boy, you have to use the boys' restroom. If you're a girl, you have to use the girls' restroom. And no one's erasing anybody's humanity. That's just stupid. Now, basically what this law was going to do it was going to allow a judge to sit back during a divorce he- hearing or during a custody hearing to determine if a father or a mother, mostly fathers, uh, does not agree with the trans idea, does not want to affirm their child's, quote, identity, end quote. It's not an identity. Wants to teach the kid that, hey, you're a your boy, get over it. The, and, and essentially a judge could hear that and say, oh, well, then mom gets the kid 24-7, and you don't get any rights. That's essentially what the law said. Now, before we sit there and clap Newsom on the back, let's, let's, let's be honest, have an honest conversation. And if the media were honest, they would ask him this question, and they're not going to. It would be, why are you doing this? Because you supported this crap like this. Your entire, his sec, all his terms, he supported crap like this. He has been for this take away the kids from the parents who don't want to castrate and sterilize kids. He's always been for that. Why? Well, Joe Biden probably isn't going to be running for president and he wants to run for president and he already knows 
This would be an extremely unpopular decision throughout the country. Hell, it's an unpopular decision in California. Unless you live in Beverly Hills or San Francisco or Sacramento, you do not like this law. Everyone else hates this law. Yes, you've got you've got your actors. They love the law because they're all perverts anyway. So yeah, this is not not a not a good law. And he knows that this will be used against him if he runs for president, and he knows he can't do this. All right, well, God, I got so much, but we're already out of time. And uh, I was going to do this one talking about gun control because there was a big law that was passed that was thrown over in California. And Joe Biden's really pissed off about it. Luckily, a lot of people had a lot to say to Joe Biden when he was making this speech about gun control. But we'll talk about it tomorrow. I hope you guys have a great day. God bless. This is Gene, and you've listened to Dumbasses Talking Politics. <laughs>